Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome into the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Matt Ray, Brent Hubs, and Grant Ramey here today. As always, this episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at um, Exterior Home Solutions. For a free estimate, you can give them a call today if you have any home remedy, any repairs, any upgrades you want to do. Give them a call today at 865-524-5888, or you can visit them online at exteriorhomesolutions.com. As always, if you're watching this on YouTube, like this video and get this out in front of more Tennessee fans. If you haven't already, subscribed to the channel. We got an awesome promo deal going on right now over at VolQuest.com, uh, and there's no better time really to, uh, to, to check it out than right now because we got recruiting going on right now, summer or fall camp starting in just a couple weeks. $1 for one month, new subscribers only over at VolQuest.com right now. Take advantage of this awesome deal and join us on the General's Quarters. All right, guys, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of revisit. We, we were actually asked this uh, on the Mailbag Podcast last week, but you know we kind of we discussed this back in the, the winter and spring and now in the summer heading into fall camp. Realistic expectations for Tennessee football. Kind of what are they? For you, and we can kind of go around the room a little bit, but Matt, we'll start with you. Tennessee coming off a 10-win season in the regular season. Uh, you know, got an 11th win in the New Year's Six Bowl game, defeating Clemson in the Orange Bowl. You lose a lot of firepower, but still return an awful lot. What's realistic expectation for Tennessee this football season? Well, I think we touched on this a little bit, and I think a lot of it comes down to Joe Milton, uh, keeping Joe Milton upright. You know, what, what does tackle play look like? You've got some questions to answer there. Um, for And, again, you know, do you win the ones you're supposed to? Um, I think Texas A&M is a big swing game for the Vols. You, you still have to go on the road to, to Florida early in the season and prove that you can win there. So there's some question marks out there. I mean, I think Rob shot it around 9 to 10, you know, last week on the Mailbag podcast. For me, I think it's probably 9 right now going in just – I want to see some more questions answered during fall camp. I won't say that 10 out of the realm of possibility, but I, I think nine's probably the safe number to be at right now as we learn a little bit more about this football team in the next two months. You know, for me, I, I'm working on position previews that they get started um, on Monday. And so I've been diving into those and, and looking at things. And, and, I, and I did some preview stuff and, and some spring recap stuff as well. So, I've looked at a lot of different numbers, and I think sometimes stats are overblown, as we all know. But, but there's a couple things that stand out to me, Grant, when I look at this team. One, and this is not a stat, but one, how in the world do they handle expectations? When, when, when really they were – I mean, it's been a honeymoon, right? There was no expectations in year one. Year two, they thought they would be – you thought they would be better, but they certainly exceeded anybody's expectations with – um, a win over Alabama and obviously beating Florida. Now they are perceived to be or have arrived, and a lot of people are, are calling them contenders, and they're saying this and saying that about them. So how does this locker room 
handle expectations. That That's one. And two, for me, what is the offense – how do they adapt to Joe Milton's game? Because it's not Hendon Hooker's game. And Hendon bailed him out of so many issues so many times with his legs. I'm not saying Joe can't, but I don't know that Joe can do – I don't think Joe can do what Hendon could do with legs. So how many – how many gotcha plays does Hendon, does Joe Milton fix like Hendon did a year ago? Those are my two big picture questions when you don't talk about specific positions and, you know, kind of diving into the tackle spot and, and all these other things. Those are my two biggest things that jump out to me right now. I thought last year they, once expectations kind of started to build, I thought they handled it pretty well in terms of they kind of kept going after beating Florida at home the way they did to do what they did against Alabama. Obviously, you go to Georgia, that's a pretty good football team. They don't play too uh, too well in Athens, and, and you lose that game, and obviously you fall on your face at South Carolina. But to answer the way they did after the disaster that was South Carolina and to beat Vanderbilt, a bad Vanderbilt team, 56 to nothing, but to beat that team the way they did, and then to beat Clemson the way they did and show up the way they did in the Orange Bowl. So expectation-wise, I thought that was kind of steps forward. But I think when we talked about this probably back in the spring, my expectation was don't expect it to be 2022 every single year and 11 wins be the, you know, the floor. I mean, maybe that's what it is moving forward down the road a little bit, but right now it still feels like I kind of agree with Rob. You can go down the schedule and, you know, they could lose to A&M, they could lose to Alabama, they could lose to Georgia, and you still have nine winnable games on the schedule. I think it all just kind of circles back to, and this is something Austin's talked about. You look at Florida and you might not think that Florida is in the best spot and, you know, Phil still put out his top 40 preseason Florida. I don't think was in that top 40. So nobody's really expecting anything out of the Gators. But you still got to go to Gainesville, and you still got to prove that you can win down there, a place that Tennessee hasn't won in however many years and, you know, X number of times over the last, you know, few decades, whatever that number is. So you got to go down there and kind of, I think, set the tone early for what kind of season it's going to be. Because if you go down there and trip up on that one, uh, then I'm not exactly sure what's next. I don't think UTSA is a game to sleep on. Obviously, South Carolina – uh, Tennessee should be motivated and ready for that one. Um, but I think it goes back to Florida, September 16th, and kind of how they go from there. And I agree with there, – there's a ton of questions when you go across the position groups. Quarterback, you don't know what Joe's going to be until you consistently see it. And you don't know what this offensive line is going to be until you see the five that are out there and how they play. And I think that that's, goes for uh, a lot of different position groups on both sides of the ball. So, for right now, it's they should win a lot of ball games. I don't think it's going to be 2022. Uh, but there's still a ton of unanswered questions that make you wonder about this team. Well, Well, here's the other thing, too. Go ahead, Matt. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, it it doesn't feel, you know, similar in a lot of ways to last year in terms of how the schedule shapes up. But I think you circle that Florida game every year. But as far as a a game that, we won't say make or break, but kind of as a pivot point right there in, in week four, it's just so big. It was so big last year. You had to win that game. And, you know, this year, again, you've got to get that monkey off your back in the swamp. I mean, feels like when you look at the series history between those two, the, the, these past two games are as big as any on the Tennessee side of it right now, at least. Yeah. And and listen, no, nobody's sleeping on Kentucky either, because I know that there's a couple of posters who are who are pretty adamant that Kentucky's a, a bigger challenge this year than Florida is for, for Tennessee. Um, I'm not buying that because I, I do I do count the history. And, and I do remember that Tennessee was in control of that game last year. Florida's throwing in the end zone on the last play of the game. So there's a monkey to get off your back, much the same way Kentucky's trying to get a monkey off their back about Tennessee. 
because they have lost that game seemingly every way possible um, for, for forever, with the exception of, of, of a couple of bizarre games, you know, that uh, head scratchers. Tennessee's had their number in, in every way. But coming off of Alabama, um, you know, going to Kentucky is not going to be an easy task. There's there's no doubt about that. That, that will be a game that um, is, a, is, is a challenge. I mean, you know, it'll probably be a night game up there. It'll be cold, and, and you know how that'll go. Uh, so I don't think anybody's sleeping on that game. But for me, it's the Florida game because it is the tone setter that, that you guys were talking about. Here's the other thing, too. And, and, and this is just – you can't control this. And I know Tennessee had a critical injury last year with Cedric Tillman that they were able to overcome. What they haven't had, Grant, is they haven't had critical injuries in the line of scrimmage when you look at it. I mean, Tennessee has got has 85 starts returning on the offensive line. If you count John Campbell's starts at, at – and and but but then you look at what Jerome Carvin and Darnell Wright had. They had 80 starts among the two of them at Tennessee. Both of them played right at 2,000 snaps in their career and played every snap last year. Wright did, and Carvin had 43 career starts. So, you know, you've been pretty fortunate, Grant, that that you haven't had that injury bug, and you you've been able to see what one major injury to do. Now they overcame the Hendon hooker injury. The last two games of the season, bad Vanderbilt team helped. They were able to overcome Cedric Tillman because of Ramel Keaton. But what happens if they do have an injury on the offensive line? Cause there's nobody behind those guys in the depth chart that's lined up and played in this league for any significant amount of time. No. And, and you have to be encouraged with what they've done at the skill positions when you have those guys get hurt and somebody steps up and yeah, it's a different story uh, in the trenches on both sides of the ball on the offensive line, especially I, I've thought during the first two years of the high player that they've, I mean, obviously Darnell Wright being picked where he is, he's a really good football player and he was picked there for a reason uh, and he proved it. He earned it, whatever he got there, but it feels like you never really had to worry about that offensive line, regardless of who the five were that out there, if they had to mix and match at times, if, if they didn't have the same guys out there every single time, it felt like they were going to get something done just because of the way this offense moves the way that the quickness it goes with the way they run the ball, the way they spread the wide receivers out, the kind of the design of the offense almost supports that offensive line uh, a little bit more. Now you're talking about that. That's one of the unanswered questions. One of the many is what are your best five offensive linemen and what do they look like and what combination and if you don't have anybody behind them, obviously, yeah, uh, one critical injury there, and, and that could derail you. Uh, but you have, I think you have to be encouraged by what you've seen from this coaching staff in the past based on the offensive production, including the offensive line, that even if there is an injury there, you think this offense could keep going uh, because of the design and, and the speed with which it moves, I guess. I was going to be no, I mean, kind of my, my, my next question, and Grant, you kind of dove into it a little bit. It's almost like having blind faith in Josh Heupel in this offense. You never want to have blind faith because that's when you can get in trouble. But if you go back and look at his stats as a play caller in this league, as a head coach for, for five years, I mean, he's had top 10 offenses. He's had a number of different quarterbacks, and Joe Milton will be another different type of quarterback that he's had. Uh, but the run game's still been there, and the offense has still been explosive. So when I think of kind of from a – broader perspective Brent when I think of expectations for Tennessee I mean yeah I don't think Tennessee's gonna have the number one offense in the country but I still kind of think it's going to be up there and if you're going to be scoring points you know 37 39 40 points a game and your defense takes a step to where we think it's going to because you're deeper in some spots 
I mean, there's no reason for me not to think that the expectation should be kind of where you were last year. But if you finish with non-regular season wins, it's not the end of the world. You know, that's not a bad season. At least that's how I view it. Well, and and I think you're exactly right when, when it comes to – and I don't think it's wrong to assume this, you know, the, the belief that the offense is going to be um, explosive and, and are going to do things. I mean, J- Josh Heupel's offense – uh, scored 30 or more points 12 times last year. I mean, <laughs> I know they're – I mean, go back and look the year before. that They, they did it, I, I think, nine or ten times. I mean, everywhere he's been, they've scored points. And so when you – when the belief is that they're going to score points, then it's can you make just a handful of plays on defense, Grant? I mean, it, it's not like you've got to come in and say, okay, we got to win this game 10-9. You got to you got to hold this team to nine points to have a chance to win. Nobody's going to the ball yard thinking that because this offense has been so good for so long. Everywhere Josh Heupel's been, that creates and enhances the expectations. When when you look at the schedule, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that anybody's going to predict Tennessee to win less than nine games this year. I, I mean, it, it feels like nine's almost the floor. Now that's kind of crazy to say, but that's kind of what it feels like when you look at the offensive numbers that they put up in two years in this system. I think in the past there have been expectations around the Tennessee football program, and they've failed miserably in some of those seasons. But I think what's different this time is how long has it been since Tennessee was coming off an 11-win season? 22 years, right, since 2001. It was the last time they were number one in any kind of ranking, of uh, you know, 25 years ago, whatever it was. Uh when was the last time they were talking about coming off a win over Alabama at home or coming off a win against Florida or whatever? I mean, just to to start the season the way they did last year to surprise everybody, to keep going the way they did to, you know, have a Heisman front runner at quarterback to even like Brent talked about two years ago. I mean, they scored 28 points in the first quarter twice in 2021. If I remember correctly at Missouri and against South Carolina, they put 62 up at Missouri. They hammered South Carolina at home with a very depleted roster uh, that Heupel inherited in year one. So I think it's, it feels a little bit different when you talk about expectations because internally there has to be a different sense of confidence with this group because they've seen it happen. It happened on the field. Like There's not a lot of Tennessee teams that can lean on the stuff that this team can lean on from last season. And no, it's not the same exact team. You lost a lot of important players, but it's the same coaching staff and it's the same guy calling the plays that you've seen put up a ton of points. And like Brent said, just make a handful of stops. So – I don't know, Matt, if you have anything on that. Like, just it feels different internally. You you would think internally there's going to be a different confidence because this team's proven it, or at least a lot of these guys on this roster have proven it based on what they've done the last couple of years. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Grant. I mean, I think when you when you look at it, you know, to me, um, the two guys that I think have hit off really well on this team are both from a similar area, Um geographically in the country, and that's Ramel Keaton and Caleb Webb. Um, Ramel Keaton was the most overshadowed guy on this roster <laughs> heading into last fall, but, man, was was he huge, and we've talked about that a lot. Um, you know, Tennessee returned – you know, they lose Jalen Hunt, they lose Cedric Tillman, but they returned some talent um, at that receiver's position. Brew McCoy back, Ramel Keaton back, ceiling appears really high for Dante Thornton and score a lot. But again, like to Brent's point about injuries earlier, who's that guy that's Ramel Keaton this year? It could be Caleb Webb, it could be Chaz Nimrod. You know, you've got to answer some of those questions. But you know, I think what some of these older guys that are back have, you know, now experienced some of this. It's leading the younger guys in a good direction, and, and those things translate. 
Um, you, know, you, you talk about a handful of stops each game. That's what Tennessee needed a lot of times last year. When they got them early and they were able to have offensive, offensive success, they started to roll a little bit. Um, again, I think, you know, for, for Tennessee, they got off the field a lot when it mattered last year. They couldn't get off the field. I mean, you couldn't help them off the field against South Carolina at times. You know, they, they walked into a bus all that night. But they got off the field at times against Georgia when they needed to. Um, so, you know, again, get off the field, score points. You have to believe, I, I think, you know, that you have a chance to win ball games, and, and I think that's the biggest difference for this team under Josh Heupel is that they know that they're going to score points and they're going to have a chance to win ball games. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, you know, two, two things, Eric. I, I said earlier, you know, not all stats are important, but I, I keep throwing stats out at, at everybody for whatever reason. <laughs> Ramel Keaton was at the second highest average per completion last year on this team. Um, and in two seasons, Josh Heupel has had six different receivers with 450-plus yards receiving. Which is which is bananas numbers. So I say all that to say this too, because I'm going to contradict myself. I know it's a great shot to everybody, but I talked uh, when we first started talking about this this topic. I said, "Can this team handle expectations?" Yeah, that's a concern. But the bigger concern is when you don't have expectations, right, Grant? And this is a program that spent a long time not really having expectations. I mean, maybe there was some hope. You know, some hey, maybe we can be a little better than we think. So there's a balancing act there of handling expectations and that being a quote concern about in your locker room versus a locker room that embraces the expectations because they believe that they're a good team because of what they've proven to themselves. I think Tennessee's kind of in that in that world right now, which is a pretty interesting place. Are they gonna sort of step over? you know, and turn those expectations into annual type things? Or, or, or are they going to say, well, I, you know, we can't handle the pressure when everybody's talking about us. But I think you've got to have some expectations um, to have a chance to win. And I'm not sure this program's had enough of that the last few years. And I think it's a kind of a rare time where the outside expectations probably kind of meet what the local expectations might be for this football team. Like, yeah, I think they're a top 25 team. I don't think they're a top five team. They're probably around that top 15 hovering in that area. I think it's right to have questions about or uh, wondering what Joe Milton can give you and how consistently he can give you and, and what this offense looks like with Joe versus what it looks like with Hendon. It would be one thing if they were expected and being picked to win 10, 11 games and, and you didn't think that was going to happen, but it feels like there's kind of a mesh point where it feels like the expectations for this team to be a nine, eight, nine, 10 win football team and kind of, you know, I don't think this is a bridge year or anything like that, but you're kind of wondering what's next for this program after what Hendon Hooker did the last two years. So I think it's one of those times where it feels like the expectations are kind of kind of right where they need to be. They're not too low. They're not too high. It feels like they're right there in the middle. Yeah, I am a little surprised, though, Matt, that the, the, the Joe Milton love, that they just the, – the, the ascension that Joe Milton is a Heisman candidate – He's just going to – and look, Joe Joe was terrific when he came in and mop-up duty last year, and he played well against Clemson. You know, I, I throw the Vanderbilt game out because they got a lead, and they said, look, throw it deep. If you complete it, great. If not, we'll punt it. You know, no big deal. So I, I kind of throw that one away. But I am a little surprised at the national Joe Milton love. Not that, not that he's not deserving of some hype and some expectations. I'm not saying that. But there's a lot of everybody jumping on the Joe Milton train 
um, this offseason based on him being the backup last year for Tennessee. I'm a little surprised by that outside noise nationally. Be curious to see how Joe handles that himself individually. That's different than team expectations. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. That's, that's a lot different than team expectations, and it's hard not to get caught up in that a lot of times. Uh, one of the things for me, I think, with Joe Milton, you know, when, when he's getting that love, and, and not that he necessarily doesn't deserve that, but I think it goes back to something we said earlier. Maybe Eric said a little bit about blind faith in Josh Heupel putting up points. If he if he's going to be the guy, then I think the outside expectations um, you know, from some of these national folks is that if he's going to be the guy under Josh Heupel, that it's just going to work, you know. And it did work for two games. You know, he, he, like you said, he was excellent in mop-up duty. It worked against Vanderbilt. You can kind of throw that one out the window. And, and I thought Joe was good against Clemson. He, he was more decisive, um, you know, extended some plays, had a couple of, real, couple of really good throws. The, the throw to Brew McCoy in the end zone was just one of the better throws you're going to see all year in, in all of college football. And I think if, if he's upright and, and able to, to stay in there, that's some of the stuff you'll see from him this year. Tennessee's going to attack the middle of the field more regularly with Joe Milton and, and they're going to try to unlock his, you know, potential with his arm. But again, there, there's just a lot there, you know, that I think still left to be answered heading into to this season. I think it's a hypo factor. Um, I think it's a built like Cam Newton and throwing it 80 yards at the Peyton Manning passing Academy factor. Yeah. What I liked about Clemson specifically is there were times where he was holding on to the ball a little bit too long. He took a couple sacks or some three and outs. It didn't look like the Tennessee offense that we had seen all season with Hendon Hooker uh, running the show. And the way he responded to those, it didn't snowball and turn into something worse. The way he stepped into, you know, stepped into the pocket and threw those uh, touchdowns to Squirrel and to Brew in traffic in the end zone, those darts. Uh, the way he hit Ramel Keaton, I mean, as open as Ramel Keaton was, it's pretty easy to get a little too excited and put that ball five yards past where it needs to be. But for him to just see Ramel and step up and throw it and put it right where he needs to be, I thought that was impressive. So I think it's a hypo factor. I think it's a size. I think it's an arm. I think it's what he did against Clemson on a pretty big stage on national TV, a New Year's Six bowl game. I think that's kind of the, I don't know, the multiple factors where people are really kind of buying into what Joe can do this time around. I mean, I mean, Clemson, Clemson was without a couple of guys, but overall, top to bottom, top three defense you saw all year. Yes. You know, so, I mean, Georgia, Alabama, and then Clemson. I mean, if you started talking about defenses heading into the season last fall, those were the ones that everybody had as a top three. And, you know, I think Clemson was still there at the end of the season. It was, it, maybe it was Miles Murphy that was out, but but Brian yeah. Brzee played and – um you know, Darnell Wright had a had a really good day against him, but overall, a very talented Clemson defense from top. My to my question with Joe, and until we see it, I don't know what it's going to be. Is his pocket presence, and we were discussing this on the board the other day in one of the threads, his pocket presence in terms of just see, uh, sensing pressure, and also just reading the defense and and taking off and running and getting what he needs to get at certain times when he needs to get. I thought Hendon Hooker was really good at that, at just taking off with it when he needed to to extend drives and to keep things going in the right direction. I want to see that from Joe and kind of how it, how it looks compared to what it looked like in 2021 early in that year and what it looked like when he had the ball mop-up duty this past season. You don't want this from a quarterback at all times, Grant. You tell me if I'm wrong. You don't want this from a quarterback at all times where, you know, pre-snap Vince Young in the, right. you know, USC, you know, national championship 
I, I'm going to be the one that makes the play here. I'm getting to the corner. Right. But there are times when you need that, and Hendon Hooker did that. For me, with Joe Milton, you talked about him, you know, bouncing back from some of those plays, being able to step up in the pocket and deliver. I think for him, for him that's the next step is just continuing to ascend in confidence. Um, right. We, we saw it against Pitt. He struggled with some overthrows and never bounced back from holding the ball too long, you know, in his first, you know, season at Tennessee, he obviously progresses the backup and looked good. Now, where does that confidence level go? It doesn't need to be too high, but there are times when he needs to say, I want the ball in my hands. I'm going to be the guy that makes the play here. I think we're all excited to see what Joe Milton can be this year leading the Tennessee offense and if this offense can reach those expectations that, well, Josh Hopple's offenses have reached the past you know, five, six years of play call in this league and as a head coach. So we got plenty more coming up here on the Ball Quest podcast. But first, I want to tell you about uh, a friends of ours, a proud sponsor of the show. That is Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs, they make you look good. Fabric company, shorts and, and, and pants for, for men, you and me alike. Uh, they got these stretch khaki shorts designed for a, a slimmer fit through the thigh and leg that truly gives you a sculpted look. Now, uh, the shirts, they do the exact same thing as Lululemon do, but they fit way better because those shorts are made of some stiff, restricting cotton, but Bird Dogs fixed this issue with inventing a cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so that gives you a slimmer fit but doesn't sacrifice any movement. The versatility with Bird Dogs, again, I've got slacks, i got shorts, warm in Omaha, you know, out to eat, some beer with the boys into the press box. You can go on a date with these. You can, you can wear them to church. The versatility is endless for casual or for business attire bird dogs has got you covered and i'm going to give you a promo code right now okay if you go to birddogs.com and use this promo code vq see this little yeti style tumbler i've been drinking out of all all episode long i've got some coffee in it right now but this past weekend i had some beers in it at night i have some water in it they keep the ice cold temperature or heat uh, for you hours upon hours and it looks just like a yeti so if you go to birddogs.com right now, put in the promo code VQ, you're going to receive this Yeti-style tumbler with your order. Again, that is birddogs.com slash VQ, promo code VQ. You're going to get this free Yeti-style tumbler. You're not going to want to take your bird dogs off. I promise you that. And as always, let's get a quick word from our proud sponsor of the VolQuest podcast. That is Exterior Home Solutions. Your roof. It's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. As always, big thank you to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage of the VolQuest podcast possible. SEC Media Days, it is next week, right? This time next week, there will be teams at the podium, coaches and players alike. Tennessee will take to the podium on Thursday, and it was announced yesterday the three players who will be representing the University of Tennessee. No surprise, but some you know, pr pretty good representation there. You got quarterback Joe Milton, tight end Jacob Warren, and defensive lineman Amari Thomas. Grant, these three representatives, any surprises? Anybody that you thought might be there in place of one of these three? No surprises for me. My only real expectation, I, I didn't really try to sit down and, and guess who these three were going to be, but it felt like it was going to be Joe Milton and whoever else, two other guys, because I think Joe Milton's a guy that he said all the right things. He's done all the right things. He he handled the everything the last couple of years with him and Hooker the right way. He never said anything publicly uh, that would bring bad light on the pro. I mean, it's felt like every time the camera's on, he's got a big smile on his face and he's saying the right thing. And, and that's what you want out of your redshirt senior quarterback. He's been around. He's seen everything. He's done everything. Uh, it makes sense for him to to go to Nashville this time, not Hoover, not not Atlanta, uh, to Nashville. Thank God. 
<laughs> Sorry, um, had to get that in there. <laughs> there, there were some players that could have certainly went. I mean, Aaron Beasley's the guy that could have went. Cooper Mays is the guy that could have went. I mean, there's plenty of representatives up there. But Brent, I think the the purpose of this is, you know, you, you know who your quarterback is. So Joe Bilton goes. There's a lot of teams around the SEC that didn't send a quarterback because they're a little unsure right now. But you want to send players who will speak highly of your program and not give anybody else bulletin board material, essentially. And these three players, you know, Jacob Warren and Amari Thomas aren't going to do that. They speak to us regularly throughout the season. There's kind of a strategy behind it, and so that's why I think these three make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and, and look, I, I mean, I hope that we're past and coaches are moving past this this idea that we, you got to shield or protect some player from the media, that the the that the, 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 the young quarterback, the sophomore quarterback is not ready to handle that spotlight. I mean, these guys are on social media. They're interacting with fans. They're getting dog bear. I mean, like, they know everything that's out there. There's a lot more savvy to this. So take your best football players. Take your take your football players that generate the most publicity for you and the players that the media wants to speak with, right? Because, I mean, th- th- does anybody in the media at SEC Media Days, of course, it's the last day, last group. I mean, it's getaway day, right, Grant? There won't be, <laughs> The world won't be there. But nope. is there anybody there who's going to do a story on Tennessee who doesn't want to talk to Joe Milton? Nobody, right? Okay, so you're going to put Joe Milton in. I mean, kudos, even though, I mean, like, put your best player out there. Let's coaches don't like not bring or not hide or 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 something. Now, if you if you don't know who your quarterback's going to be, I mean, if Alabama's not bringing a quarterback, I get that. But but bring your most talked about ballyhooed players, and I think hopefully we've gotten to that because there's a couple years where some SEC coaches left everybody at the house, right? And it was like, you're bringing who? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I think the commissioner has said, yeah, let's do a little better. And I think finally some schools are coming around to the idea of, you know what, NIL, they're doing their own stuff anyway. They can do anything they want to do out, out there. So why not bring those guys and put them in front of the media and let them represent your program? Matt, when you look at these three players, obviously, you know, Joe Milton, he's he's the leader of this football team. He carries himself that way, and, you know, that that that's a big reason why he's there. But, you know, Jacob Warren's a guy that – we've had this conversation a little bit the last couple of weeks when we think about who's going to represent Tennessee. Jacob Warren never really came to mind for me um, because he's so soft-spoken and unassuming. However, I mean, he's the leader of this football team. He's coming back, taking advantage of the COVID year of eligibility, playing a key position of this football team. I think he makes a whole lot of sense, and uh, along with Amari Thomas, kind of kind of doing the same way on the defensive line. Yeah, I think, I think both of those guys make a lot of sense, along with Joe Milton. I mean, when you look at Jacob Warren, yeah, he's not one. I mean, I think Cooper Mays was the one that probably came to mind for me first. Um, but Jacob Warren's like having another coach out there on the field for Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, he's been around the program. He, he's He's – you know, so valuable. Um, you know, he's, he's such a high IQ guy. He just very well spoken. He, he makes a ton of sense and, and good for him, you know, and, and getting the opportunity to go do this, you know, this time around as, as he, you know, embarks on his final season here at Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guys, I mean, he's been through everything at Tennessee. <laughs> he's, he feels like he's been at Tennessee a decade, um, yep. you know, that that is that is played there, and obviously he's an important piece of the puzzle. I, I think offensively, you know, Jacob makes sense. I, I think Brew McCoy would have made sense mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Cooper Mays. I mean, they had plenty of options there uh, to to talk about, you know, this team. But 
again, when, when they get to those breakout tables, everybody's going to flock to the Joe Milton table um, to, to see what he has to say and, and to have a conversation with him about being the leader of this offense and everything else. So um, we'll see what, what Joe has to say. I mean, he's already dropped the, what is it? Joe doesn't lose in Florida or something, yeah. something along those lines. He'll be asked about that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's exactly how he meant it, but I'm sure it's going to be in every locker in the Florida locker room. Uh, when, when, when their, their practice for Tennessee comes about that, that week for sure. Hubs, Jacob Horn hadn't been here a decade, but if you've been here since before COVID, it just feels like you've been here a decade. <laughs> yeah, All right, if, if y'all haven't looked at the list, how many quarterbacks do you think are going to be in Nashville? I have not days? looked at the list. All right. Um, I know I know that um, our boy, our, our Rogers, Mississippi State, is going to be there. Will Rogers, correct. Will Rogers is going to be there. LSU is bringing a quarterback, right? Jaden Daniels, that's correct. That's All three right. total, including Joe. KJ Jefferson's going to come from Arkansas, right? KJ Jefferson's there from Arkansas. I would imagine Spencer Rattler is going to be there for South Carolina. Didn't Matt just say Spencer Rattler? I don't know. No. Who did you just say? I haven't said anybody. I'm just counting. Will Rogers, Spencer Rattler, Joe Milton. That's four. Anybody else? Who's the – is Leary from Kentucky No, he's new. He wouldn't go. I don't know, Eric. He's like a six-year transfer, man. It's all about the quarterback position at Kentucky. It's an I upgrade can... from what they had. There's no <laughs> doubt. Rob's not here to chime in on that. But I just I feel can... like since he's new, I mean, he's, I mean, he's not on the list, is he? You can straight up ask yeah, him right now if he if he drinks, you know, mayonnaise in his coffee. That's a storyline <laughs> in and of itself. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm a little. I'm a little surprised Kentucky's not bringing Leary. To, to be honest with you, uh, when you look at where they are, um, the youth that Kentucky. they had. Eli Cox, Octavius Oxendine, yeah. J.J. Weaver. That's okay. it. Four, four quarterbacks. Octavius. That's it. That's the That's list. It? That's, That's the it. List. That's the list. There, I'm, I'm going down it right now. There's a ton of offensive linemen, a ton of defensive linemen. There's so all of that diatribe where I said coaches have figured this out is no, is no longer true, right? <laughs> well, it might be true. It might just be a, a reference. Uh, you know, this might just be kind of condemning SEC quarterbacks in 2020. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it. O- Ole Miss doesn't know who their guy is going to be. Alabama doesn't know who their guy's going to be. Auburn doesn't know who their guy's going to be. Kirby was not bringing, not bringing Carson back, right? He was he's bringing know. Brock Bowers, Kamari Lasseter, and Cedric Van Praan. He's yeah. not bringing Tate Rattledge to talk about Neyland Stadium. He's not bringing <laughs> Tate Rattledge. You know, he's not bringing he's not bringing anybody that's recently got a speeding ticket, I guess, as well. Oh my um, Should have said that, right? The shots from Corey from the top row. Mercy. Probably shouldn't have went. Probably shouldn't have went there. Sorry. Um, But Vanderbilt doesn't. I mean, there's not a lot of proven quarterbacks, right? I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, Jaden Daniels. I mean, if you're listing your top. Nope. Just not a whole lot of quarterbacks. Let me continue on for Hubbard right there. Not a whole lot of quarterbacks in the SEC because think about it. You're replacing a really good quarterback class that, that obviously just left. I mean, you got Stetson Bennett, who just coming off a national championship, Hendon Hooker's returning. Anthony Richardson was getting a whole lot of hype. And of course, Will Levis was getting a whole lot of hype. Plus Spencer Rattler was a name. You also had Will Rogers. Who's been there for a decade. I mean, there were so many quarterbacks in this conversation last year. And Brent, you're, you're, you're having to replace a ton, you know, KJ Jefferson as well. You're having to replace a ton conference wide. So maybe that's why there's not that many. Well, and so my question is this. Who's your top three quarterbacks in the league in the preseason? Great question. Don't know. K.J. Jefferson's up there. Jaden Daniels is up there. And depending on who you ask, probably Will Rogers or 
See, I don't, I don't uh, love KJ Jefferson. I'm just, I, I have a hard time with that one. I mean, I thought, you know, he lost those receivers from two years ago. I thought he was just, I thought he was average last year at, at, at Arkansas. Now he didn't have a whole lot of help, I guess, as part of it. But I don't, I don't know that I'm buying the KJ Jefferson. Now Jaden Daniels, he figured it out after Tennessee left town. Yeah. Um, you know, he wasn't very good when Tennessee was there, but he, he started to figure it out, obviously, down the stretch. I, I don't know. I mean, who the preseason top three quarterbacks are going to be versus who the top three quarterbacks are, say, the second week of October will be a very different – I think could potentially be a very different list than, than what you see in the preseason. Shout out, shout out South Carolina. They're, they're bringing a quarterback and they're bringing a punter too. So, Kai, oh, Kai we got Kroger. a picture coming. We've nice. got a, we got a punter. And they got another guy named Tonka Hemingway, all, all name team right there. So, you got a punter, you got a quarterback, and you got a dude named Tonka Hemingway. To go along with Octavius Oxendine from Kentucky. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Who Tennessee fans are very familiar with. Yeah, there's a lot of good names. Names are going to be in Nashville this year. All right, let, let's wrap up with this. Um, on three, uh, kind of shuffled around the rankings, made a new updated rankings list earlier this week. And, Matt, a couple of the Tennessee commits and targets on the move, a couple jumping into the on 300 and uh, making some moves there. Yeah, I mean, Jeremiah's Hurd's the big mover there, moving up to 292 overall. Um, you know, a guy, I think when you look at the ranking system from top to bottom, you, you kind of see what you're looking for, verified measurements. And, man, does he have it. Every, every bit of 6'8", uh, 292, 293 pounds. Has only been playing football for roughly a year. I think he started on about July 14th or somewhere in that range this time last year. Um, comes from a basketball background, big mover. Um, you know, and he was a big mover in the ranking. So, you know, it's something that's exciting to him. He, he's even more excited to get back to work at Model High School um, this week as they get ready to – and it'll get rolling toward the fall. Um, you know, and then obviously Braylon Staley climbs up in the rankings. He's number 101. He's the highest Tennessee commit in the rankings right now. Caleb Beasley, I believe, right behind him. Um, I think Caleb Beasley stayed pretty close to where he was at. Um, Jonathan Ankle's still there. Jake Merklinger took a, you know, a dip. Um, he, he didn't have a chance to work out this summer, and – you know, as we kind of know, that tends to hurt you a little bit in the rankings. Um, Peyton Lewis continues to climb up to around number 218 overall. Um, you know, a guy I think Tennessee nabbed pretty early in the recruiting process. You know, tip of the cap there to Jerry Mack for, you know, getting in on Peyton Lewis early. Tennessee was able to lock him down, um, you know, prevent him from taking a visit to South Carolina and letting things, you know, get, you know, more 50-50 there. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, you know, there were some questions on the general's quarters about targets, you know, like Mike Matthews. He fell back to from 24th to 32nd. And, you know, I, and my answer to that is simple. I just think overall, I think you're splitting hairs, you know, when you're getting up there that close. I mean, Dylan Riola has been number one at one point in time. Uh, Dylan Sturt has been number one at one point in time. Williams Winery is now number one. Um, you know, there's just not a lot of difference between those guys. And when you're basing it on projections around, you know, what their, their NFL draft stock can be, I think it's hard and you're trying to get it right. You're trying to take a lot of different factors, you know, into effect. But, you know, overall, if you're inside the own 300, you know, or even right on the cusp of it, if you're a four-star 
the industry thinks really, really highly of you and you have a chance to be a really good football player and play on Sundays. And regardless, I mean, if you're a Tennessee commit right now, I mean, Tennessee overall, especially with the pool of players that's still chasing, I mean, you're, you're, you're in a good spot. Doesn't matter what the, you know, doesn't matter where exactly in these rankings are because Tennessee is pulling from a group of players that it just wasn't a couple years ago. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when you kind of look at, you know, who's left on the board for Tennessee, there's, there's a ton of big names left on there. Daniel Coulier, um, inside the uh, top 100, Jordan Ross inside the top 100, um, Mike Matthews inside the top 100. They're going to swing it. Aiden Breeland, and you know, uh, there, there's a ton of guys still on the board for Tennessee inside the on 300. Maybe you know a guy that hasn't been mentioned as much in terms of rankings, but Bennett Warren inside of the on 300. Maybe not a a more important prospect, you know, on the offensive front in this cycle for Tennessee. Amari Jefferson, a guy that we've talked about for a while, being pretty underrated. Um, Tennessee battling Alabama tooth and nail there right now, and and he got bumped almost, uh, I think, inside the top 120 range. Um, Ryan Wingo still hanging out there around 97. Uh, so so for Tennessee overall, still still a lot of opportunity out there, um, you know. But at the end of the day, these rankings are fresh coming out of camp season and. Seven-on-seven seven season, there's a whole season left on the field. These things can shift again. Um, so you'll learn a lot more about these guys as they transition from, from junior year to, to senior film. Of course, Tennessee's recruiting class continuing to take shape over the next couple of weeks in the month of July. And a lot of these guys are about to gear up for uh, their senior football seasons and senior year of high school. And of course, you got that cookout at the end of July for Tennessee recruiting. So, Tons and tons and tons of stuff going on over at VolQuest.com. And hey, there's no better time than right now to join us over at VolQuest.com. Join our family. We've got the summer flash sale going on right now. $1 for one month, new subscribers only. Come join our family over in the General's Quarters and at VolQuest.com as Tennessee gears up for the start of fall camp here in just a couple of weeks. And of course, SEC Media Days, where only four, right, Grant? Four quarterbacks? Five, four other quarterbacks, then Joe. Five total, four others. Sorry. Five total quarterbacks will take to the podium and a lot of defensive linemen and a punter in Nashville at SEC Media Days. We'll have all that coverage over at VolQuest.com as well. Appreciate you guys, as always. Shout out to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. Those summer storms, if you have a need, give them a call today over at 865-524-5888, and they will give you a free estimate. 865-524-5888. Eight, eight. For Grant Ramey, Brent Hubbs, and Matt Ray, I am Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning in right here to the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest.